0: Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Ronnie Kurtz to the podcast. Ronnie serves as the assistant director of marketing and managing editor of For the Church here at Midwestern Seminary. He also serves as a pastor at Emmaus Church here in Kansas City. Recently, I was pleased to announce Ronnie as Assistant Professor of Christian Studies here on the faculty at Midwestern Seminary and Spurgeon College. Today, he joins me as a guest host as we continue discussing my recent book, Succeeding at Seminary, 12 Keys to Get the Most Out of Your Theological Education. Ronnie, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. It's great to be here, and uh, thanks for having me back. Yeah, and look, congratulations on your faculty appointment, and uh, just delighted to have you here. you made such a Tremendous contribution over the years as a student, uh, first an MDF student, then a PhD student, and now uh, currently in your role in the mar- with the marketing team, and now getting to teach for us more. And yeah. so I know you're delighted as well, and uh, you've been able to, even in recent months and, and weeks for that matter, secure a couple of book contracts. So yeah. why don't you say a word about yourself and uh, a word about kind of the current happenings with your new role and even these book contracts? I think our listeners probably appreciate knowing a, a touch more about you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, well thank you, uh, one, for the kind words and introduction, and, and two, for the, the trust and appointing me to faculty. I uh, I love this institution, and anyone who knows me knows that. And so to serve this institution in this capacity, doing what I love, teaching theology, is just such an honor. And so thrilled to do that, uh, building classes as we speak, and ready to start teaching in the fall. Uh, yeah, with the books, uh, things are things are going. We've submitted the dissertation. After I defend and get through that hurdle, I'll, I'll uh, kind of revamp some of it and turn it into a publication, and then uh, have another book coming out in the next eight to nine months with b as well. So it, and so, when
0: do you defend?
1: It's not scheduled yet. So the dissertation is turned in. It's with the supervisors, and that question will be up to Dr. Matthew Barrett. <laughs> okay. And uh, as far as the two books, tell us what they're on and
0: uh, when we we hope to see those. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So the first is a, a published version of my dissertation. So it's it's uh, entitled No Shadow of Turning. Subtitle is Divine Immutability and the Economy of Redemption. And there's not a date yet on that one. Uh, it'll likely be late 22.
0: And is that in the Reds series? That's right. It's Christian in the Reds Focus. series okay. Christian
1: Focus. That's right. Yep. So it's a great little series. I uh, really appreciate them there. And then the other one that I just signed, um, it's actually due September 1st, so it'll, it'll come out before the other one. It's called Fruitful Theology, How the Life of the Mind Can Lead to the Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, it, it should be coming out in July And that's with B&H, right? That's with B&H. That's correct. Yep.
0: Very good. Well, listen, thank you for joining me in the studio and uh, doing a little, little co hosting here, yeah. a little uh, st- sitting in the chair for me and with me. And so, look, I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you and let you drive the
1: podcast for, for 20 minutes. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to this part two of our conversation. I, I do want to encourage listeners if you haven't listened to part one, go back and do that. We covered the first few chapters of the book, and you, you won't want to miss that. That will help with this particular episode. And in that episode, Dr. Allen, we kind of spent Our time a little more in the abstract, talking about calling, the idea of calling, what it might mean to be called. But for this episode, I want to take a turn and focus a little bit more practically on seminaries and seminary life. So let's assume a listener or hypothetical listener affirms what you said last time about calling. They feel this inward call towards ministry, and their local congregation has even affirmed them in that. And now they've kind of turned their face towards pursuing seminary. I, I think. And most obvious question would be, what should someone look for when they're looking at and considering seminaries?
0: Yeah, well, look, there's a temptation for me just to uh,
1: to look line by line <laughs> to my book, because this yeah. is
0: such a key issue, such a key question. And look, there are a lot of seminaries out there. Uh, the Association of Theological Schools, the the, the primary— uh, a agency for seminary and divinity schools in North America uh, accounts now for nearly 300 institutions. Mm. So there are a lot more than one would think. But my goodness, are there a lot of unhealthy institutions in North America? And by unhealthy, I'm referring first and foremost to, to theological unhealth, to uh, to mission unhealth. That is why a seminary exists, uh, what people must believe to teach there, and what students can expect to encounter if they study there. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of seminaries out there in Divinity Schools, literally hundreds in North America. But there are remarkably few, that, uh, frankly, that I can encourage without without some real reservation. There are more than one, praise God. Uh, of course, <laughs> we fully believe in and encourage Midwestern Seminary. But, but look, there are more than one, and we rejoice in that. There are other Southern Baptist institutions that are healthy. There are other non-SBC institutions that are healthy. They're doing good and faithful work, and so we can rejoice in that. But that being said, as I'm now in my ninth year here, and I, and I know the landscape of theological education much better, I mean, there are a lot of landmines out there. But not only from that vantage point of knowing seminaries and divinity school, as I talk to students, there are a lot of students here who like know what we believe and why we exist. They know for the church. They resonate with it. So they're here because of those big, important, almost transcendent issues, yeah. we might say. But there are a lot of students here on our campus that you talk to them, and this was far more opa- opaque to them. This was was much fuzzier from 300 miles away or 800 miles away as to even choosing a seminary. And I began to talk to them and hear, and sometimes I'll have the feeling of, man, I'm really glad you wound up here because I'm not sure you knew enough about theological education and what mm. to look for an institution to have wound up at a healthy institution. And so those listening to this conversation, um, there may be some in that latter category. Uh, there may be others who, frankly, like— they know that they should be discerning, but they don't know fully like how to be discerning. <laughs> and so I'm not going to get into reading the chapter Of course, the book is available, and you can read it more carefully. But I do want to just at least touch on and summarize some of the the, the big-ticket issues. And as you said in the previous conversation, it was a little more as abstract, really talking about uh, kind of how to know your call to ministry and to rejoice in that. But now, talking a little bit more specifically about about like about where to study, and, and to some degree why to study, but mm-hmm. where to study most urgently as far as today goes. And so, let me just enumerate a few things that uh, that those who are pursuing theological education or or ministry preparation in some more focused way, what they should consider. Um, first and foremost, you need to be an institution that is right in doctrine, mm-hmm. and that is uh, just absolutely essential. And again, you don't want to just pick an institution based upon tuition price. That's important, but that's not ultimate. You don't want to just pick an institution based upon the geographical location. That's not irrelevant, but that's not most ultimate. You don't even want to pick an institution, and I'll be careful here, but but based upon how well published the faculty is. And again, I'm very proud of Midwestern Seminary. Our faculty is incredibly accomplished but there are other institutions that are that are in a theologically unhealthy place who have faculty members that are well-published. So what do you want to look at most urgently? And that is, first and foremost, that that institution has the right doctrinal commitments. Now, notice, I did not even say the right doctrinal statements. Okay. <laughs> so what do I mean by that? Well, an institution can have the right doctrinal statements, but they're kind of on the books, but not really applied and abided by day-to-day, week-to-week in the classroom. Yep. And so some institutions have doctrinal statements. That they're, they're like a historical artifact. They point to a previous era, and perhaps they're even still listed on the website or something. But folks on the ground know this really isn't being abided by. Hmm. Moreover, it's not being cherished. And so we talk about here, and I you know, talk about this often on campus, and remind our folks here, it's not even enough that we affirm with integrity our doctrinal statements, We meaning our faculty and instructional staff, that is essential, but that's not even enough to affirm. We are advocates. We are cheerful advocates. We aren't re- reluctantly agreeing to something. Yeah. No, we, we affirm wholeheartedly such that we advocate for these truths. So for us here at Midwestern Seminary, just to personalize it here, we, we have four statements. Uh, first and foremost, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, and then three other statements that really supplement and elaborate on what that means. And those are the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy, the uh, Danvers Statement of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and then added in recent years the National Statement, on um, human sexuality and gender. And again, you can see what we're getting at there. Mm -hmm. Now, has Midwestern changed its doctrinal orientation? No, but then why these additional statements? Because our culture has lost its mind. (laughs) And every doctrinal statement is uh, something of a snapshot. Hopefully, it's pointing back and pointing to doctrinal truths that haven't changed in centuries. But at the same time, it's often a reference point to what is the current conversation. And so as our culture has changed so much, even the past 10 years and issues of sexuality and gender and human identity and so many more, we've had to kind of flesh out in a formal way things we hold dear. So you want to look at an institution that is right in doctrine. Again, Mm -hmm. not just on the books, but actually being lived out, actually being applied. That the institution is not embarrassed by their, their theological commitments, but they affirm them wholeheartedly, cheerfully, confidently, the right doctrine. I want to say, secondly, you need to look for an institution that has the right mission. Hmm. And again, we are really, really, really loud here about those three words for the church. And uh, we believe those uh, those three words with all that we have, with all that we are, we embrace and advocate. And a mission statement can be just a mission statement, like a doctrinal statement can be just a doctrinal statement. So you want to make sure the institution actually doesn't merely have a a slogan or a logo or a cut line, but how does that mission statement actually inform how the institution operates on the ground? Do faculty members believe that? Do mm. they embrace that? Do they celebrate that? Uh, does it show up in the classroom and in community life events? Is it, is it in the air, so to speak? Is it in the institution's DNA? And so you want to make sure you know why that institution exists because, look, every organization uh, has some organizing principle. Uh, has some mission statement. Now, they might not have one formally. In fact, they might not have one in any intentional way. <laughs> well, that lack of one is one, That's exactly. in a sense. Yeah. And so know why they exist. Now, and here's where I want to press this point further, Ronnie, because if you know much about higher education and, and theological education in North America, you know the past 10 years or so of institutions have been challenged on the financial front and the enrollment front due to a whole host of factors that are that are too complicated really to get into in this juncture. But what's happened over the past, say, 20 years or so is many seminaries have become kind of like shopping malls, and they have just offered every degree program under the sun, have sought to appeal to everyone under the sun, and they've done that by, by having all of these different educational opportunities there. And in so doing, they diluted what they actually are emphasizing, and they diluted why they exist. But we're proud of a, a full catalog, so to speak, and we do have different degree programs that, that we offer, and we offer happily. But those go back to these three words for the church. And so I want to encourage our listeners to not only be mindful of the right doctrine, but, but be looking for the right mission. I would say next, uh, the right faculty. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is key. Who you study with is paramount. And again, you want the faculty that bleeds the right doctrine, that uh, affirms the right the right mission. But you want a faculty also that is accomplished. I mean, you're paying good money to study, and so you don't want to study with amateurs. Uh, you don't want to study with those who have a, a casual knowledge of <laughs> of matters of theology. You'll just study with those who are accomplished and given and devoted. But you also want to a, a study with those who are devoted students who are open to mentorship, mm. to mentoring you, who will know you, who will invest in you. So there's a lot to look for on that front. And look, publishing matters, and we emphasize that here. We encourage that here, and we're very proud of the uh, the, the distinguished faculty we have and um, and how and how accomplished they're on the publishing front. But, but seminary is more than reading books, right. okay? It was all about the books that have been written, and then one could do a you know, mail-order degree and, and just read the books, <laughs> right? You want to be influenced life on life Absolutely. by the faculty as much as you can. So the right doctrine, the right mission, the right faculty, I want to say next the right constituency. Hmm. Now, what is that? By that, I mean every institution has a constituency, okay? Who are they seeking to serve? For us, that constituency primarily is Southern Baptist churches. Now, we, we happily have students from other evangelical contexts, and they're here and they have a delightful time here. Um, but, but, but our primary calling is Southern Baptist churches to serve Southern Baptist churches, and so, so that constituency does inform how we go about doing our work. Mm-hmm. So, put that in contrast with in, institutions that some are um, some are their constituency is a um, a very vocal alumni base or a very vocal and demanding donor class, or a denomination that that is to the left of where they should be theologically to the left. And so all of those different, different constituencies can, can, can tug one way or another. And most institutions um, bend towards their funding sources, like flowers bend toward mm-hmm. light. And so for Southern Baptist institutions, we are thankful to have the corporate program, which, which cuts about in half the tuition rate for our students. But also, it is not only a uh, in addition to the formal accountability we have through the election of trustees, it's a practical instrument of accountability that Southern Baptist this year giving Midwestern Seminary uh, seven or so million dollars. And uh, that, that means something. Yeah. That reminds us of the constituency, frankly, we serve. Yeah, that's right. So you'll be mindful of their doctrine, mindful of their mission, mindful of their faculty, mindful of the constituency they serve. And let me just mention two more uh, you want to look for an institution that has the right vibe, v i b e. And what I mean by that, here I'm talking about the uh, the culture yeah. on the ground, the feel of the place, the community dynamic. Uh, are people there cheerful? Is it is it a type of place that if you're going to school and you're, maybe your your spouse is a little more reluctant, that that your spouse can immerse in and be encouraged and edified and say a yes and amen in their heart, even as you're saying a yes and amen in yours. So you know that's kind of hard to quantify. In fact, it may be impossible to quantify. But but generally speaking, do people enjoy being there? Is the faculty happy? Do the students uh, have a good time there? I don't mean just a fun time, but a good, healthy time there. What's the vibe? And let me say sixth, and again, there are other things we could always say, but I know you have other questions for me there, Ronnie. But let me say sixth. That uh, you also want to look not just for the, the right doctrine, the right mission, the right faculty, the right constituency, the right vibe, but, but what I refer to is just the right practicalities. Mm. It's not inappropriate to ask yourself, what do they charge? It's not inappropriate to ask yourself, where will I live? It's not inappropriate to ask yourself, um, can I get a job? It's not inappropriate to ask yourself, is there a healthy church my wife and I can plug into? So those are practical considerations. They're not at the top of the list, but they really ought to be on the list. And you shouldn't feel badly about
1: working through those practicalities <laughs> as you determine where God would have you to study. Wow. that Those six items are phenomenally helpful. in in having some handrails for folks to think through institutional life and institutional health, that, that's so important. I remember as a passing comment, Dr. Allen, uh, you probably don't remember this because it was a passing comment you made— and early on when I was visiting Midwestern, you said something like, I'm not lying awake at night wondering what a seminary is supposed to be. And I remember just loving that line because I wasn't, as a prospective mdm student, I wasn't trying to move somewhere that didn't know what they wanted to do. <laughs> and so— I was so thankful to hear that there was a mission, and, and I bought into that mission. And yeah, so, had plenty
0: of reasons to be awake those days uh, <laughs> as far as where the seminary was and what we we're trying to accomplish and what we we're up against. But uh, God had put deeply in my heart a, a clear sense of yeah, calling mission wasn't to what, what we would do. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so for my next question, and this is a big one. Uh, I think a lot of folks ask themselves this question as they consider seminary. Uh, there is an ever-increasing, this is no secret, an ever-increasing integration of technology in education. And so one major question folks have as they consider seminary is simply, should I do seminary online or should I move there residentially? You, you treat this important question in the book, but I'd love for you to reflect on it a bit here. Yeah, and I'll try to do it, uh,
0: do it more briefly than I did the previous question, Ronnie.
1: Look, it, it, a lot of it goes back to
0: one's personal circumstances and calling. Okay. And in the book, I, I, I make the case for residential and believe in residential yeah. still as being preferred. Um, but it doesn't mean you're a dummy or slacker and not committed if you're studying online. In fact, it may mean just the opposite. Mm. And I do think over the past 20 years, kind of a caricature maybe arose that the online students were less committed to ministry. And look, that, that can be the case. But oftentimes, our students in Midwestern are doing online studies because they're serving as associate pastor to church, they're serving as a, as a pastor of a church plant, they're engaged in real life ministry such that God is using them. And we're delighted to come alongside of them in their current place of cha- training, and bring in its current place of ministry, and bring bring training to them in an online distribution, so they can continue to press on in their in their local context there of ministry, and we can we can train them in it. So we rejoice in that. We're not like reluctantly embracing the online resolution. In many ways, we're on the cutting edge of it, and so we rejoice in that. But at the same time, um, if you find yourself tempted online because it seems to be not enabling a clear sense of calling that you currently have to where you are residentially and ministerially speaking, but it's you find yourself tempted as kind of a concession to a more comfortable or easier or more attractive set of logistical concerns than a clear sense of God's calling you to go residentially. Well, I mean, I don't want you to settle for online. If you're thinking online because you're 24 and you know what? you can live with your parents and it's probably easier. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Move to campus. Uh, If you're thinking online because you're 38 and you just got called a ministry and you got four kids and you have actually a good job at the factory and you want to chip away at your school school over the next five years and you you have a great role in your church and your pastor's letting you be an assistant or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, probably it makes a lot of sense for you to remain online and not feel bad about it. Not feel bad about it one whit. But I am concerned about a generation that they're 22, 23, 24, 25. They are by any objective measure portable. They don't have five kids. They don't have many kids. Mm-hmm. They may have a wife. They may not. And so it'll never be easier for them to go to seminary than it is right now. Never be easier. And so just go. And a school like Midwestern, we have incentives and promotions and ways to help. And we have a team who are eager to embrace. who have housing availability. And hop in and do it. And you're going to be blown away by all the many different ways you benefit as being, from being a residential student beyond things you even perceive distantly. Mm. In addition to the training you'll get, you will get those life-on-life relationships with professors. You will be able to develop a band of brothers or band of sisters on the ground at seminary. You'll be able to attend the workshops, the conferences, the chapels, uh, the lectures, all those different things going on day-to-day that really make a seminary sing, and you can get it. And so I just got to say, even for our listeners today, we have some that are kind of on the fence, and, and should I or shouldn't I, if you're on the fence, come. If your circumstances are such that in your college needs to be clear enough that God wants you to stay where you are residentially for the season, we can rejoice in that, and we're delighted to support that. But don't talk yourself out of the opportunity to study residentially, especially at an institution as strong as Midwestern mm-hmm. Seminary.
1: Yeah, that, that's so helpful. And even as a test case, I mean, my life has been changed completely by being here. I'm sure it would have been changed as well online, but the relationships I have, the opportunities I have, no chance they happen had I not moved to Kansas City. And we have baseball here. We baseball. have
0: baseball and football and Patrick Mahomes and barbecue and coffee and jazz and culture and arts, and uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't it's know a what great else we can do. That's right.
1: <laughs> okay. Another question, uh, I've actually gotten this question from a number of prospective students, and I know if I have, I'm sure that means you have as well, is, is really this idea of how how am I going to maintain my spiritual disciplines, my personal spiritual growth, while pursuing formal theological education? And I think one of the strong points of your book is that you do a really good job kind of tearing down this either-or dichotomy Mm -hmm. of either studies or discipline. And so I'd love for you to kind of just talk about that for a prospective student. Yeah, so let me – and I
0: think I can answer this uh, even briefer still than the previous question. (laughs) Um, First of all, this goes back to picking the right institution. If you pick an institution that is arid, don't be surprised if you turn up dry Mm. in three years. If you pick an institution that's all theologically, don't be surprised if, uh, if you find up in a bad theological and spiritual place in three years. Pick an institution that's right theologically, right in this mission for the church. Again, we love the academy. We're training gobs of PhD students that are accomplished, but for the church uh, is preeminent. Um, if you choose the right doctrine, the right, the right mission, the right faculty that are spiritually vibrant, um, that's like rounding you know first base coming into second to being in a spiritually healthy place uh, along the way. Then, again, what I say to our students, and I touch on this in the book, is you need to do your best to make your, your studies spiritual yeah. and to make your spiritual pursuits uh, meaty and, and academic as well. And so New Testament should never be dry. Theology should never be dry. And some of that, you, you need to have the discipline to think in that regard. And our professors here are inclined to teach in that way, of course, but, but you need to be inclined to listen in that yes. way. And then I would say, look, it goes back to the meat and potatoes of, reading your Bible and praying and perhaps journaling daily of being involved in a healthy local church, sitting on the ministry of God's Word. um, Those things matter, and so maintaining the spiritual discipline. So some of this goes back to your personal commitment, your personal sense of uh, self-discipline and intentionality, but the right Seminary, the right church, the right community group within the seminary—all those things speak into Mm -hmm. it and uh, can really strengthen you spiritually. Look, we do not want students to to graduate accomplished academically, but dry spiritually. We don't. We don't. We don't. Well, Ronnie, uh, soon to be Doctor Kurtz here before too long. (laughs) I want to thank you for helping me host today. It looks like we uh, we've uh, we've uh, taken all the time we have today, but uh, I appreciate you cueing me up here to speak to some of these things. I'm delighted. Uh, The way my new book turned out, it's out with Moody Publisher, Succeeding at Seminary, 12 Keys to Getting the Most Out of Your Theological Education. And I think we're going to do maybe one more of these conversations just to try to touch on some of the high points. But uh, I want to, if I can do this in a way that's not self-promoting, I do want to commend the book for those in ministry or pursuing ministry preparation or contemplating ministry preparation. I think it speaks to some very real and pressing issues and questions. Ronnie, thanks for your help today. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.